In a world where workplaces are sometimes toxic for people and humanity has been squeezed out by outdated rules, how do leaders who care create enlivened workplace cultures? This show has the answers. On Let's Make Work Human, we discuss how organizations can meet their mission and make a profit without squeezing the life out of people. The path to how lies in unbreakable connections, clear purpose, and real partnerships that debunk and demolish old mindsets about the world of work. I'm Mo Carrick, and I'm a beekeeper, mother of adults, CEO, culture expert, award-winning entrepreneur, and best-selling author, and I'm joined on this show by my colleague and friend, awesome coach, mother of a toddler, award-winning creative DEI facilitator, and millennial, May Rats. Together, we tackle teams that gossip, leaders who are bad for people, partnering while working, belonging, and so much more with an irreverent and honest look at what it takes to make every workplace fit for the human beings who work there. We're on a mission to stop the suck and restore humanity to work. This show will warm your heart, challenge your thinking, and leave you laughing out loud. Hi, Mo. Good morning. Good morning, May. Update, Mo still feels a little crappy, but she's doing well over there. Yeah. Anybody <laughs> yes, that's worried? I am. Good. Um, today, we don't – well, we, I, I guess here's the question. The question is, what is up with Adam Newman and Elizabeth Holmes? <laughs> and should we even be talking about them in the same conversation? Mo has – Mo has written many pieces about various TV shows, which is where this kind of came up in the beginning because I wanted her to write about the dropout and Elizabeth Holmes, um, which for everyone that doesn't know about it, you should definitely watch it. It's very interesting. Adam Newman also has a movie about him. I don't know what it's called. We'll get to that. I'll look it up while Mo's talking. But, you know, either way, very big names in Silicon Valley. Both of them are very big names right this minute. And so we're going to talk about that. And we're going to talk about what the deal is with Silicon Valley and with investing and especially around very big investments that either go awry or are actually just good buys. We'll see. Okay, yeah. well. <laughs> Venture capital in particular. Well, I think that, first of all, it's notable that we have written as much as we've written about or that I've written as much as I've written about television shows because uh, prior to COVID, I never actually watched television. <laughs> <laughs> Anybody who knows me knows that that's, that was one of my areas of moral superiority, was that, I, that I did not deign to watch television, to use my mother Margaret's expression. But now I've watched all the television since COVID has started. And, we, and I have specifically, and the team has helped me to write about Ted Lasso, about uh, Lasso, Lasso, Ted Lasso, which I can't wait till the next season's out. Also Yellowstone, also Halston. And, uh-huh. you know, the, and it's going to be true that we are going to have to write about the Elizabeth Holmes movie that I just finished last night. But I, it's, I'm so, my mouth is gaping open so hugely after watching the Elizabeth <laughs> Holmes story that I can't write about it yet. So that's why we're having this podcast. <laughs> tell, tell, tell everybody why your mouth is gaping. Like, well, give us the, just spew it out. I mean, I think my mouth is gaping because I am I am incredulous that Elizabeth Holmes is right now, as we speak and record this podcast, probably going to go to prison for, for her fraud. Years. For 20 years. While, which, by the way, she has a new baby. She fell in love mm-hmm. after she closed Theranos, after they closed Theranos, and she 
had a baby in 2021. So now she has a baby. This mother is going to be put into prison potentially for 20 years for fraud, which I don't think there's any question like she did commit some heinous acts of fraud Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. lying. Um, But meanwhile, we have another Silicon Valley entrepreneur who has, to my knowledge, also been charged with lots of problems, but isn't going to prison, who just was given millions and millions of dollars, I think $450 million, something like that, by Anderson Horowitz for his new investment. Let's talk also about Adam Newman. Um, Also, largest check ever written by that company, by the way. Right. For the, his recent investment, for their recent investment, right, to Adam Newman's new project, which is real estate project. They also were his largely, largest investor in the company we work that he was asked to leave the CEO role of after they were unable to go public because of the loss of billions of dollars. For everybody who doesn't work in Silicon Valley like us, um, asked to leave means paid to leave. Paid to leave. I think he walked away with $450 million, plus he had many estates. So Adam is not hurting in any real way. And he's now been given, right, he's doing fine. And he's now been given the keys to the kingdom uh, in the venture capital world, more and more money to just, it's like play money that he's getting now. Meanwhile, we know that less than 2% of the recipients of venture capital funding are underrepresented groups, which include women and people of color, and other underrepresented groups of people. So we've got this situation where now the one woman, the one little tiny minnow who swam through the hoops of being able to raise money was Elizabeth Holmes, and she messed up. And now... It's even harder for women. I on the at the end of the show, they say this in the little, you know, the little text, like it's now even harder for women to get because of Elizabeth Holmes. So one one woman made some pretty bad mistakes and now now women are gonna be even less likely to get funded. I don't know how you could be less than two percent. <laughs> Let me just say. It's not funny, But maybe but you're now going to yeah. be 1%. There's one, a risk of getting, you know, the, your likelihood of getting funding as a, wo- a woman entrepreneur for by a VC is, okay, now it's going to be 1%. Thank you very much. But what about the other 99% of the people that are receiving funding, like Adam Newman, that are messing up, are running toxic cultures, are yeah. undervaluing, you know, underselling their services to capitalize on the market and crowd out the competition and doing bad things like smoking bowls in planes and, you know, having rave parties at his headquarters. Like how come this behavior is considered really okay? And Elizabeth Holmes is going to prison for her behavior. I just, so I just think that it's the double standard is making me sick. That's why my mouth is hanging open about the Elizabeth Holmes story. (laughs) Yeah. Well, which is initially why I told you to watch it, because I was having a real wrestle in my brain about whether or not there was a double standard or if she actually was losing her mind. Because the show makes it look like she is losing her mind. Like she was just out of it the entire time. She was like this power hungry individual who like didn't care about people, who just like made all these decisions that just affected everyone around her and she doesn't really seem to care and they the media still paints her that way that like she had a baby because then that would help her case and by the way for anyone who has not had a baby uh that's not a good reason to have a baby (laughs) like it's a very hard body trick y'all right Um, i don't know that 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 argument doesn't sit very well with me but there's it's hard to tell it's hard to tell because the way she's painted in the media is as this power hungry 
ice queen. And the right. way that Adam Newman is painted is as this dude that just was like a silly 25-year-old who made a couple bad decisions, built this mega empire where everybody got to have coffee at their desks and bring their dogs to work and wasn't that so cool. And then he messed up and now he gets to try again. But what people aren't saying about this new Adam Newman venture is that it is a very interesting time to be in real estate in this country. And he is he just got an entire real estate mega download, you know, like he is going to have so much of his hands in American real estate, mm-hmm. uh, which equals generational wealth in many, yep. many ways, you know? Yep. So I, that like all those things kind of feel a little weird to me. Um, the Elizabeth Holmes story is also interesting to me because the way she's painted as a child in this, all of it is that all she wants to be is a billionaire. She says that when she's a kid. I want to be a billionaire. I can't wait. The president's going to marry me because I'm going to be a billionaire. And that kind of stings me the the wrong way, too, because what's wrong with women wanting? Right. Because already we're painting this little girl as wanting. She sees that when you have money, you have power. Right. And we're already painting her as the villain. Why? Right. Right. Well, and what she wants is what is the poster child of Silicon Valley. So she worships the founder of Apple, Steve Jobs. She is obsessed with having that kind of influence. She saw her father, you know, Mm -hmm. be fired, terminated from a corporate job and doesn't want that to happen. She's smart. She gets a, you know, scholarship to Stanford. And then she wants to do what they do. She wants to drop out of Stanford and take that money and invest in a company. She wants what they all did. All the white guys that have headed all the big tech companies, you know, and I think what's really hard for me and the reason I keep, and I know there was in TechCrunch or something, an article recently that we shouldn't be comparing Elizabeth Holmes and Adam Newman, but I find myself thinking, well, why not? Because, you know, there's, there's a lot of other issues with Adam Newman. The company was accused of sexual harassment. Um, partly connected to all the beer that they had flowing in their organization <laughs> there, you know, yeah. he was, he was accused of taking illicit consulting fees. They were all, there was also fraud um, resulting in the IPO being canceled. And he walked, and yet he walked away smelling like roses enough to now where he's getting reinvested in. And I find myself wondering why aren't we, why is it Adam Newman and his other co-founder, why aren't they being held to the scrutiny of what we're seeing under Elizabeth Holmes. And yet I know the answer why, Mm -hmm. because they look like all the other people like that. They are, they are white passing hetero men that are, that are being seen as the smartest guy in the room, which is certainly what they think they are. And meanwhile, as you said, the woman who has the wanting, who sees that ideal, and this is, I think, one of the chronic issues that we see in the workplace all the time is that women want what the men have. And then when they pursue it, they are not able to relish it, bask in it, or even win in the same way. And you know, one scene that really touched me, May, in that in the in the Elizabeth Holmes um, film that just came out, it was tender and hard to watch. Was the scene in the movie about Elizabeth Holmes when she gets taken on the boat? She's looking for funding, and she gets taken onto Larry Ellison's yacht, the founder and CEO of Oracle. And he whips her into a frenzy by talking about how she needs to be brave enough to fire people. She's like, are you willing to fire people? He says, are you willing? Say it, say it. And he gets, he ends up getting her jumping up and down in this sort of cult-like fashion. I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm ready to fire people. And that's what 
she is taught, she's told now by this person that she admires who has all this money, who might invest in her company, that that's how she needs to be. I can't be me. I can't be Elizabeth Holmes, the perhaps somewhat quiet introverted person. I've got to be jumping up and down on the boat, yelling that I'm ready to fire people. In other words, I have to assimilate into a culture that's completely different than maybe the way that I'm wired. Now, maybe it is the way that I'm wired. She was certainly a, a, com- a competitor, a type A personality that was high achievement oriented. But I just thought that that scene was very telling. There were like three in, in the scene in the movie, right? There's like four men on the boat. They're all watching her kind of act like a crazy person buying into this cult of like, yeah, I'm ready to fire people. Really? That's our big achievement of what a good leader looks like, Larry? Yeah. Yeah, that scene was uh, kind of disturbing for me. Um, right. Because at the same time, her dad is going to the hospital, right? So it's like the, this caring bit of like caring about your family, but also trying yeah. doing what you need to do. Right. I'm like air quoting around that to get capital for your dream. Yeah. And you're reminding me of another scene that was adjacent to that, which was later on in the, in the series, um, which is when she starts to doubt. It's when... Theranos is starting to fall apart, which for those of you that haven't seen the movie, the series, the spoiler, it's built, Mm -hmm. it's all predicated on one very important lie, (laughs) which has to do with whether the technology works. That's, that was a, you know, pretty big misstep, dear Elizabeth. And also Sunny Balwani, who we can talk about separately, who I think also was not really the poster child for good leadership um, either, but also an under representing an underrepresented group as a Brown man um, in in our culture. But anyway, so I digress. So in this one scene that I'm thinking about, she starts to have doubt and she's she's giving some thought to like, I'm just going to close the company. What if I'm not happy? This is not going well. I'm holding up this lie, which we know that it's this lie, but she hasn't told anybody that. And she goes to a family wedding and she says to her mother, who is also a white woman, like, you know, mom, what would happen if I just stopped it all? You know, that, you know, the company is not me. I'm me and the company something to sit. And her mother says, no, you are the company. You know, your work is you. That this winning with this company is the most important thing you can do. And I'm so proud mm-hmm. of you because you've done this, which I can relate as a mother to like feeling proud of your kid. But by the same token, there's this mixed message there, I think, that comes to Elizabeth Holmes, uh, which gets really confusing, I think, to all entrepreneurs, particularly with the Silicon Valley effect, which is that we are expected to give our entire self to the building of this company that's built on, you know, it's not built on Mm -hmm. something hard. It's built on technology that you can't really see or touch, right? Yeah. See, the webs of it are like kind of messy for me because I do think, yeah, I do think what she did was wrong. Like the fraud is real. What she did, especially because her technology had to do with the medical field, I do think, yeah, is messy. Um, And when we compare it to Adam Newman in that way, all right, finding a place for your computer where you get kombucha every day is not the same as getting different blood results about cancer, right? Like those are different things. But the the baseline that we're trying to talk about is that these two people went into Silicon Valley with ideas and they are coming out in radically different ways. One is headed to prison and one is getting more venture capital and no one is actually even talking about the fraud that he had right? um, as anything except for like a past snafu. But one of the bits for me around Elizabeth Holmes is that her humanity got squeezed out of her 
and continues to. If you watch the videos of her testimony and like her real life testimony, it's almost horrifying to just watch Mm. this person who is, you can tell is like caught between a rock and hard place of making a very bad choice and being a really unskilled leader and now taking the fall for all of those choices where, yeah, the leader of the business takes more risk than anybody else, right? For sure. But there, when you watch the show and when you like listen to uh, everything on the internet, like I have about this, because I got a little obsessed, nobody is standing alongside her to mentor her. Everyone is standing alongside her, hoping that the thing she makes works. Her entire board looks like a battlefield. Like General Mattis is on this board. There's people on this board who are waiting for it to work as opposed to people who are like, have you gone to any leadership training? (laughs) Right? No one's like asking her questions about herself. They're all asking questions about when this thing's going to pay off, which I think is another thing about women in leadership and underrepresented groups is that if you're not coming in perfect and you're not coming in with every single skill, that's on you. Right. That's not on the community to teach you that. And that might actually be a Silicon Valley thing. I don't really know, but that seems like a major misstep. Like she's like 19 when she makes a billion dollars. Yeah, she's 19 when she begins, when she starts a company. She knows nothing. And I, I like what you're saying. And I think it's an interesting catch, which is that, you know, she's not given real mentorship, but she is, she does attract a tremendous amount of people, that very high powered board the investors who are willing to say this looks like a good idea. But one of the things that the show really kind of points to is there's a lot of speculation about why is she getting all this investment? And one of the pieces of speculation is she's pretty and she's blonde. And, you know, I have never heard anyone say that Steve Jobs or Bill Gates or Jeff Bezos or Adam Newman have gotten what they've gotten because they were pretty and blonde. (laughs) You know, there's never been even a sniff even the slightest whiff of that. Although Adam Newman certainly was seen as a playboy and his, you know, childhood as a member of a cult and his, you know, magnetic personality and ability to convince people of anything is recognized with his long hair and, you know, his, his um, drug using antics and his yoga loving wife. But his, his, it's not, it's not a direct corollary. Whereas with her, you just have this high feeling. And, and, and also, The people that invest in her and the board are mostly older men. The one woman she goes to who's a professor to try to get some mentorship and some validation basically blows her off and says, you are... You are not worthy. This idea is not that good. But she doesn't do any. She doesn't do anything like take her under her wing and say, "Let's look at this yeah. idea. Like, is it as good as you, as you think? Maybe I could help you with this." Yeah. Which makes me—you're literally a freshman in college, right? So maybe we should talk about right. it, right? Which yeah. she kind of says, which is, you know, this. She says, "You're you know nothing." But then she doesn't do anything else to sort of say, "But the other people, you have this idea. Other people are behind you." And and that woman who is really quite bitter ends up being someone who helps to facilitate the, you know, the reveal of what's really going on at Theranos, which is a good thing. But I find myself thinking about mean girls and about women and, you know, how do other white women treat white women who are pretty and blonde, who also have a really good idea? Because let's face it, Elizabeth Holmes' idea was brilliant. Super good. Yeah. I find myself sometimes really sad that it didn't work out because I hate having my blood drawn. Yeah. I hate it so much. Um, well, from yeah. an accessibility and, perspective yes. and, you know, <clears throat> there's 
a cost percent that it is a good idea. And someday somebody will probably figure out how to manifest this idea in technology that really works. It wasn't. Let's pray to Jesus. It's a woman. Right. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I'm also struck by that. This well, the very first thing you said about how now it's harder for women to break in and get investment. And I'll just have you know that the entrance rate to Yale right now is 8%. So you have a better chance of getting into Yale than you do getting investment as an underrepresented group right now. That math just wow. isn't mathing, right. okay? Because there's no way that 99% of the women in underrepresented groups don't have a good idea or even the same idea yeah. as Adam Newman right? or Steve Jobs or whatever else is out there, yeah. right? But that the the women dynamic of one, a woman's not allowed to want. Two, if she does want, the only reason she's going to get what she wants is if she's pretty mm-hmm. and thin and young and ambitious and also, by the way, like a man. Right. And then three, we're not going to help her get there because if other women help other women, I don't know what happens. Right. But something bad. It seems very bad. <laughs> the message right is if other women help other women succeed something very bad happens right right that's wildness well it's so no wonder so then she's alone right oh totally alone the only person that you know penetrates her aloneness is her boyfriend you know sunny right who talk about a complex relationship an older man who she meets when she's 19 and he invests in the company and by the way he's also facing charges and probably 20 years in prison for his part in the fraud. But, you know, based on the, what totally. the film depicted, which I understand is fiction, but this was a really confusing relationship. Um, one that was a lot about power and she had a lot of self-doubt and um, and yeah. and ended up kind of deferring to his wisdom, even though he knew nothing about the, biz- the particular business they were in either, you know. So right. clearly they both were clouded. Their thinking was clouded by greed or by access to power in some ways that, you know, clearly were not good. But also that has been true for many others who who have been consistently funded and yes. rewarded like Adam Newman. I mean, one of the things about Adam Newman is that really makes my stomach turn is when you listen to like employees talk about working at WeWork, he, he was building a fan base in very much the same way she was trying to with these, you know, um, cult-like picnics and parties and, you know, um, sort of like self-help movement kinds of um, hooks to get people to believe in this movement, making it a movement and using people's emotional intelligence and belief in this optimistic future to, to do things that they ordinarily, you know, really wouldn't do. And, and yet he was, even in his downfall, he was rewarded for that, whereas she is seen as, you know, malicious. Malicious. Absolutely. Well, yes. So this leads me to two questions. The first question is, can you pick apart a little bit from what you've watched, where you see the holes in her leadership and where you see the breakdown happening? Because there is a, there is a major time where everybody distanced themselves from her, right? She becomes the like pariah. Yeah. Um, And that doesn't happen if you are a good people leader, right? Right. Like that's just not part of it. So If you can pick that apart, that would be awesome. And then the second piece, maybe you can answer this first. When we're talking about getting funded, when we're talking about getting people to give you money for your idea, what are Mm -hmm. we actually talking about? Because how much time does it take to go 
look for funding. How much does it mean to get somebody to back your idea, whether in words, whether being on your board or whether in money? We're doing, we're saying it very casually, but this is like a very large thing to get funded. Mm -hmm. So can you break that down a little bit for me? Sure. I mean, again, I've only watched the television special and watch some of the news. So I don't really fully know that I'm qualified to say where Elizabeth Holmes' leadership broke down. Also, I'll remind you, she had her idea when she was 19. So So, so she knew nothing. Right. So that might have been where it started to break down. But I mean, there's a couple things that I think are really powerful about what I see in the story. One is that she lost her way with regards to the advisors that she trusted. So in the movie, they depict this chief scientist, Ian, as Mm -hmm being very significant to her original idea and the manifesting of it becoming a real technology. And she trusts him. They, they establish a relationship that's, that's powerful. And he seems as though his values are aligned around integrity. And at a certain point, you know, once Sonny comes in, et cetera, Ian is now seen as the pariah and he, he ends up committing suicide because of his ostracization from the company, the depression that he fell into, and his his widow ends up being a key player in the ultimate demise of, you know, uh, the, the ultimate reveal of what's true in the organization. So I think the one thing that, that makes me think about as leaders for leadership is like, who do we trust and how do we allow and, and really stay centered on our values without compromising? Mm-hmm. And I think early on, you know, either Elizabeth Holmes' values were not clear in the beginning because she was so naive and so young or so unskilled, or she lost her way with those values, maybe because of the Sonny Brani, you know, relationship or whatever, where she she began to and Sonny was apparently very paranoid. And so there everybody began to be like a threat to just mm-hmm. the two of them. So I think there's this I think good leaders have a network, a small important network of people whose opinions they really do trust who can advise them and tell them the truth and 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 I think leaders who are really successful <clears throat> pay attention to and nurture those relationships so that they aren't making decisions in isolation I think that was a big a big problem mm, what a great one one of a one of the pieces that you didn't say but that reminds me of the last episode that we just talked about is about honesty, about being as honest as you possibly can with the people that work for you so that they can make their own decision. Mm -hmm. And I think there are some pivotal moments in the Elizabeth Holmes story where if she would have just been honest, as honest as she could have been, the company could have made decisions alongside her. Yes. Um, But instead, she chose not to do that for whatever reason. Absolutely. Well, that's a really great call out. And I think it also relates to, I would say not only, I mean, I like the way you said that on as honest as she could have been. I think one of the big challenges we, we see in the Elizabeth Holmes story, right, is that she was not honest with herself. Hmm. She And she says at some point in the movie, I don't know whether this was something she actually said, but she says something like, if you, if you tell a lie often enough, um, do you forget that it's not real? And I think that that's where we see you know, it, it can be really hard in any leadership role to relentlessly tell yourself the truth. Mm-hmm. You know, am I, am I alone? Is this a good idea? Is this person to be trusted? Um, and one of the things we see again and again in Elizabeth Holmes' story is that she chooses to say yes to things, even though she knows that there's failure ahead. 
mm-hmm. because the risk of failing in the moment is too high. So to me, that's another piece. It's like courage doesn't mean that we just press forward no matter what. We have to be able to say no. In fact, that's what courage is sometimes, right? Yeah. Is being able to say, this is an unknown. We, we can't say yes to this. And she, you know, with the Walgreens deal, for mm-hmm. example, mm-hmm. he says, yes, we can do this when she knows that the technology can't do it. And uh, I think it's easy to get caught up in that performance mindset, that performance model. This is the, I've got to keep going with the results here, even though I know it's not going to work. And so that's that, being, can I be honest with myself? Because it has to all start from there. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Which is tricky as you're saying this. It's like, was she allowed to say that? You know, I'm like, say it, be as honest as you possibly can. But as a 19-year-old CEO of a company that just like racked a billion dollars, are you allowed to say that you don't think that it's actually going to work and have your investors and your board stick around? I don't know. And I think that would be my challenge back to people who who have in the past judged women or underrepresented groups based off of their ability to say, I don't know. You know, if you're if you're finding someone pushing into perfectionism, they've learned it somewhere, right? It's not... The lies and the perfectionism get muddy. They do. Because they do they well, affect people. Well, they do. And also, I've often said, I'm sure you've heard me say this, right, that perfectionism is in itself a lie, which is mm-hmm. that it, it, you know, it tells ourselves, it's, we tell ourselves with perfectionism that if we just get it perfect, then everything will work out. And I think what's interesting in the Elizabeth Holmes story was that it was almost the opposite of that. Mm-hmm. She knew that it wasn't perfect. She knew that it you know, the technology wasn't working, but her perfectionism was about like, I have to make it look like it's yeah. all good. And, you know, they even mislabeled the machines and, you know, pretended <laughs> they were their machines when they were Siemens machines. Like yeah. they put stickers of their own company on top of that. Like that is just to me a very physical manifestation of the deception that happens. And I can see how it can happen. Yeah. Um, I think that it's power and access to the kinds of power that Elizabeth Holmes had access to at a very young age is very, very seductive. Mm-hmm. And um, and so you tell yourself, this is just a tiny, this is a little paper cut, this little label putting over this machine. And right. actually, it's it may be if that's the only thing you're not telling yourself the truth about. Um, but when you add it up to the 50 other things that are small paper cuts, now you have massive fraud and deception, um, even of, yeah. of ourselves, you know. Yeah, totally. You asked, you asked two questions, though. The second question is about what does it mean to be funded? Ah. And in like the larger view, like to believe in someone so much that you give them money, to believe in someone's idea so much that you give them money. And what does it mean for underrepresented groups who are not getting those things? Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's interesting because, (laughs) (laughs) because I, in my whole career, I've not had any investment in my company until COVID-19 global pandemic hit and we received the idle loan, mm-hmm. um, which many small businesses and many large businesses received as well, which is the first capital that I ever had that was infused into my company that I didn't make myself. You know, So our organization has been self-funded from the beginning, which is 21, almost 22 years ago. When we think about, you know, there's lots of way you can, ways you can get investment in your company. You can take out loans. You can self-fund, which is that you invest from the profit. You can uh, borrow money from banks, and you can do venture capital, which is usually with venture capital, it's 
a project that has a substantial element of risk. So venture capital is intended to be, it's a private type of equity funding that is provided by venture capital firms or funds. A lot of times there's these aggregate funds that are usually given to startups, early stage or emerging companies that are deemed to have high growth potential. So venture capital is risky investment. It's gambling, basically, (laughs) by people that have a lot of money or funds that have a lot of money to say, this looks like a really good idea. We're going to bet on it. But we know that not all this stuff is going to work. They invest in a lot of things that fail, like WeWork and also (laughs) right? But, you know, those these investors that are investing in venture capital, they know that there's a risk. And some of them, the unicorn companies, some of them do make it. And then it's worth it because you get exponential growth. But to have somebody, it's funny, May, per your question. I was thinking about this before we started our interview today. I was remembering a conversation I had many, many years ago. It was probably a good eight or nine years even before I started my business, Momentum. I was with a client. I was I was working for another company, a consulting company, and I had a client by the name of Silver Sea Cruises. They were then and are still now a, a small luxury, ultra luxury cruise ship company. And the CEO at that time was a guy named Bill Smith. He was a Texan. I really liked Bill. And we were having dinner and he had ordered the, um, what's that cut of meat that is so fancy? It's like butter. Chateau. Oh. Huh? <laughs> it was like prime rib. Chateau Beyond. I don't remember what it's called. Some fancy kind of meat that like they only have one of every night. He ordered this meat. He's like, this is going to be so delicious. We're having this fancy dinner. And he looks at me at one point. He goes, you know, Mo, I would like to invest in you. And I was like, what do you mean? I, and I referenced my consultant consulting company. I said, I'm sure, you know, I'm sure they'd be happy to receive some of that. He's like, no, not the company. I would like to invest in you. When are you going to go off and start your own thing? And I'd like to invest in your ideas and your work because you're onto something good. And I remember being so overwhelmed and so like amazed that he even said that, but I couldn't in my mind picture a way that I could ever activate that to be the case. And, you know, roll forward however many years it was since I started the business. I remember thinking I should call that build Smith, <laughs> right? Yeah. Because wouldn't it be cool, you know, to have something besides the $5,000 that's in my bank account that I'm going to invest to start this business. And I never, I never, ever did. And I have met over the years with both venture capitalists as well as other kinds of investors. I've met with a few of them, um, including banks where I've received lines of credit, for example. And I've consistently heard this. Service firms like yours are not a good investment. You know, investors don't really invest in service firms because it's, it's not a commodity and it's also not software. <laughs> it's mm. not the things that venture capital firms mostly invest in, these things that are not actually things. Um, and I'm like, yeah, but software is not really a thing either. I mean, some <laughs> ideas that are not a thing. I mean, yeah. I got more concrete things I can say that I deliver. Anyway, so for that reason, I've never, I've never felt encouraged, supported, or, you know, nudged to get any investment from anybody. And so all the investments of all the growth, every every piece of asset building, of technology, of learning, education, hiring, every single thing we've done in our firm has come out of the money we make. It's self-funded. Mm-hmm. And um, so I think that investment potentially means everything to somebody who's starting a business, whether you're starting a small business that's going to stay small or you have an idea that could be something that would target, you know, venture capital because you're saying, I have something that I think is worth somebody taking a risk on. Mm -hmm. And there isn't a guarantee because it's a financial investment. There's never any guarantee, but it shares the risk. I mean, that's what investment does. It shares the risk. And one thing I'm very keenly aware as a mostly self-funded organization is that the risk has pretty much been mine. I don't share that risk, really. I do now a little bit with the idle loan with the federal government, but not much, you know, 
that's a under $150,000 investment. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> Barely a drip in the bucket. Not, no, yeah. not really significant. Thank you for explaining all of those things. That was like a, a masterclass just for me in general of like funding. What I'm struck with in your story is that from the very beginning, you got told that you had to go it alone. Mm. And isn't that a disservice? We tell everybody, have a good idea, have a good idea, have a good idea, have a good idea. You can do anything you want to do. This is, you know, like, we'll believe in you. Go do the thing. Mm. And then when you're about to go and do the thing, they say, well, we'll see if you're successful first. And then maybe we'll hire you. We're not actually going to invest in you. And also the thing that you are doing is too risky for us. What a wild message to get and to give to entrepreneurs and especially to underrepresented groups who are already operating under a larger umbrella of risk um, in the world in general. Like when you started your firm, you had three young kids. Mm -hmm. You were carrying all the water for your entire family. And then to hear the thing you're doing is too risky for us to invest in. Good luck out there. We hope you make it, but we're not going to help you. Like what a wild thing that we have built as a system that does that. Yeah, it, it is. I think it's very, very lonely. Yeah. And it makes it makes entrepreneurship really, really very difficult. And one of the things I've talked to all my kids about, and I've and I've talked to other entrepreneurs over the years, you know, we've had people that have come to work with us as consultants, for example, who who really couldn't bear, I would say, the risk, you know, yeah. of of um, something like a commission-based salary structure or whatever, because they just they just needed that consistent steady income. And I'm reminded of um Years ago, Kemi Dunaway and I, when Fit Matters, How to Love Your Job first came out, our first first time I was at South by Southwest, a very large and very fun music and idea conference in um, in Austin. Kemi and I went when Fit Matters was launching and um, we spoke and we were, we had a huge auditorium. There was like a thousand seats and we were very nervous. We we're getting ready and everything. And But there were only a few people trickling into our room. Aww. But I went out to the ladies' room and there was a huge line. It was like we went out the door and around the next you know area. And I was like, wow, I wonder if they haven't opened the doors yet. Maybe these are people for our session. So I asked this one guy. They, there were people sitting on the floor. They had been there a long time. And and he, I said, what are you, are you waiting to get into the Fit Matters, you know, session? He's like, no, no, we're in this session over here, like the ballroom next to us. And so I went and looked at the door. That session was on depression oh. for entrepreneurs. Wow. And the line went like literally around the whole room. There were probably 200 people sitting in line. And I came back and said, Cammie, we should have a different topic. Yeah. <laughs> Our title is not the one. Yeah. Right. And that was a long time ago before we had some of the access and knowledge of, of what we do now about mental health and the impact on entrepreneurs. But I think it's that, it's that, you know, that feeling of like, I have to invest in this company or this idea only myself or my family has to be willing to put their money on me. And then who knows if it's going to pay off. And even, you know, in your family situation where you've got your partner is an entrepreneur and trying to do his beautiful jewelry business and every piece of silver, every gem that he buys, he is investing in that. Mm -hmm. I'm sure Sam hasn't received investment probably, or maybe he has, I don't know, but most entrepreneurs don't. Yeah. Yeah. Would you encourage someone to be an entrepreneur, knowing what you know? Totally. I I think I would. And I wish that we would do a better job as a society at at figuring out how do we want to balance, you know, venture capital investment with more genuine investment. And, you know, we've seen this, of course, you've all we've all seen the statistics, for example, of micro lending, mm-hmm. um, particularly in developed countries, but micro lending works here too. You know, you <laughs> let's not stop there. Yeah. yeah. 
I mean, I'm sure if 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 Sam Peterson had a ten thousand dollar micro investment or even a five thousand dollar micro investment yeah. in his fledgling jewelry business, it would probably make a huge difference. Yeah. And in my organization, there's been times when that would have definitely have been true. The the thing is that the return is not going to be as big. The the, the return for someone who is making a micro investment is not going to be the many X times that a venture capital return is expected to be on the stock market. And so I think that's one of the flaws is that, you know, enough is not enough. Everything has to be abundant. So, mm-hmm. you know, Elizabeth was funded so hugely because people thought they would make bank on her idea. That's why yeah. they invested, not because they wanted to make sure that there were going to be more jobs and that the technology would help people. That wasn't their motivation for the inv- investment. That's what they made it look like in the shiny brochures, but I'm sure that that's not the case. And the same is true for Adam Newman's WeWork idea. Sure, people love the idea of WeWork. Not the best idea, maybe just prior to a global pandemic, but he didn't have any <laughs> know, you know about that. Uh, but people were not; people were wanting to make money off the real estate model that he yeah. that he was unfolding. And so, I think that that's what's hard. Is it's like an investment, even in my firm. If someone had made, let's say, someone took my COVID idle loan investment and had made that for me back in two thousand and one when I first started the f- firm, that hundred and fifty thousand dollars would that have made a difference to my business? Yes. It would have made a huge difference because I could have hired someone like you or Cameron mm-hmm. or Jessica way, or Joanne way sooner than I was able to. I was, you know, 2001, I was 10 years before I even had a part-time hire um, mm-hmm. because I had every dollar that I made had to be spent mm-hmm. on both growing the business and also just supporting my Paying family. The bills. So, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And and something we talk about is that leaders don't get enough time to think. And why? what's wrong with giving leaders enough capital so that they can take a breath and not live in a world of scarcity for a hot yeah. minute? Because if you actually do believe in their their idea, they need to make more of the idea. Right. <laughs> like it's right. not just figuring out how to do the taxes. It's like also how to generate what the idea is actually going to mean. It's not helping them figure out how to make custom-made stickers that fit over the Siemens label, right? It's like <laughs> trying to figure out how to find leadership support for themselves when they're in a yes. crisis. Yes. That's what and actual how, investment is. Absolutely. And how to bring in the team, the right team yeah. to assemble, to make, you know, if Elizabeth Holmes had had the right team yeah. <clears throat> assembled in her organization, not Sunny. Right? right, and some of the other leaders who were nefarious, perhaps in their intention, but really had an A team that yeah. she could have built a healthy culture where people told the truth and there wasn't all this paranoia. Like, would that have made a huge difference to whether that those bad decisions started happening? Maybe. You know, I think it's a great question. I whenever I think about this idea of investment, micro investment, and you know, venture capital investment, I think about you know, really, I, I think about Leonardo da Vinci. <laughs> That's what I think about. <laughs> and here's why. That here's was, why. We just took a hard left turn. I was not I know, but All right. you got to bear with me, May, because it relates to time. <laughs> because a few years ago, before COVID, Jim and I, my husband and I, were on a cycling trip with one of our clients and partners, Experience Plus Bicycle Tours, and we went to Da Vinci which is the town where Leonardo da Vinci is from. And I've always been fascinated, fascinated with Leonardo da Vinci because he invented so many things. He's a beautiful artist. Blah, blah. So we go to da Vinci. We go to his you know, museum in his homeland. And I was reminded of the fact that Leonardo da Vinci had nine children. He lived in da Vinci most of his life. And he had he was not only, you know, he invented the bicycle, the, some of the first airplane wings. He was one of the very early innovators of 
a bit of anatomy, of human anatomy. He invented yeah. machines. He was he invented so much. He lived to be like 92. And he had a full-time partner in his wife who raised his children. He had no internet, no email, <laughs> right? He did not have any distractions. All Leonardo da Vinci had to do really was right. think. And he thunk a, a lot. lot. Yes. And 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 we are still today living from the benefit of what his mind was capable of doing. And thank he had. God, yeah, right. And people back then, like him and Mike, Michael, uh, Michelangelo, and others, they also had sponsors, which is, by the way, investment. Who said, <laughs> "I will put you up in a home. I will feed you and your family so that you can do what you do, and the world will benefit." And Michelangelo created the Sistine Chapel. Like, hello, you know, <laughs> good so, investment. Good investment. And so I feel like there's something fundamentally flawed with this idea that our investment only can be connected to making X number, you know, a hundred times the initial investment, because it's not always going to be that great. Maybe it's going to be two times or 1.5 times, but that's still worth it if the idea is really a good one. And if the, if the product or service is, is good. And so, so I want to go back because yes. I didn't probably answer this well. Heck yes, I believe in entrepreneurship. I also believe it's not for everybody. So I think that we also need people who are willing to not be entrepreneurs um, because that's what employees, that's a mindset that employees need to have. Because yeah, we can't give like all, all of you that work for me, if you were all <laughs> going to be entrepreneurs, I'd be hosed. Because you, you wouldn't be willing to like hitch your star, you know, to my wagon. And so I'm grateful for that. But I, but I also think that entrepreneurship is a fundamentally powerful dimension of our economy. Small businesses, micro businesses, less than 10 employees still make up the backbone of our society and make a difference in towns and cities across the world. And these are started by entrepreneurs, whether they're somebody who's starting a dry cleaner or somebody who's starting a consulting company. And I really believe in the work of entrepreneurship. I think good ideas come up that way and we have um, they become good employers and everything. And it's not for everyone. Mm -hmm. I think it's okay. And to cycle us back just a little bit, the door is very slim for who gets to go through the entrepreneurship door, right? Like yes because of who is getting funded and what the messages are around funding. And I I said in two camps here, if you have the money to invest in people, use your money, spend it, do the thing. Yeah. Like speaking from someone who is partnered to an entrepreneur, every single piece of jewelry that goes out our door into the post office is like makes me cry because that's someone mm. investing in us. Right. And my like, that's what I pay our childcare yeah. with. Right. Like that's like, it directly affects yeah. us. But the other bit is if you don't have the money to invest in someone, still invest in them in the way that you can. Yeah. Because that 2% of investment in underrepresented groups, I think goes across both ways. It is in money. Yeah. And it's also just in this pure belief of what do you have to give? Yeah. And the right. things that in this Adam Newman and uh, Elizabeth Holmes story that we're like putting up right here is that he does have that. He does that he have over and over and over again. He has people that yes. are showing up saying, try again, try again, try again, yes. do it again. You can do this. Try again. We believe in you. We've got right? you. Yeah. And Elizabeth Holmes was like, you effed up once. Yep. And now you're done. And yep. by the way, thanks for messing it up for every other woman. You're the one that messed it up for us, which is like right. not true. Right. <laughs> no. Elizabeth, if it's you're hearing this, you're not the only one that's messed up, but also right. you did mess up. But you have to mess up, right? You have to mess up. Absolutely. Way, but yes. you do have to. That's part of it. So 
the mixed messages there for me in terms of like who gets the investment, who gets belief in them, and then what you do with that, you know? It's no, I think yeah. I think that's so powerful. And and you know, you're right. And I and part of me can get behind like this new Anderson Horowitz investment in in him. Because I'm like, you know what? Yeah, he probably he probably has a good mind and it probably is a decent idea. And you know, let's uh that's okay. Like he okay, so he messed up pretty bad with rework, but maybe <laughs> maybe he can do something better and maybe he's maybe he's learned. Right. You know, which he says he's learned. So it's like, okay, well, that could make sense. So a part of me feels that way. And then part of me is just burned and chafed to no end because I'm like, really? Why? Why does he get to go at it again and again and again and mess up again and again and lose millions, billions of dollars? And yet we're still going to hold him up as a poster child and we're going to punish and burn on the stake somebody like Elizabeth Holmes who did also commit crimes, but not necessarily from a values perspective, anything worse than what he did. In fact, in some ways, maybe not even as worse. And so I feel like that's the double bind. And and then the other piece I would add is that this is where I take some hope. When it comes to the people we've been talking about today, Elizabeth and Adam, they are the minor they are the vast minority mm-hmm. of what we're ta- what you and I are talking about, mere yeah. mortals in the realm of investment. Because those they were both are both venture capital funded and and they were invested in by the mega millionaires who also want to just make more mega millionaires contributing to our increasing wealth disparity. What is really true is that small businesses, entrepreneurs that are starting small businesses are make up a mainstream of our economy. And the investment required for them is nowhere near as risky. Yeah. And no and nowhere near as dangerous. You know, somebody investing in in my consulting company or Sam Peterson's jewelry business is not doesn't have to put millions of dollars at risk, right? They can make, they can buy products and services from us and they can add value to the ecosystem that we support and help our businesses thrive. And we go on to do good in the world. And that's true for every small business. All of our clients who are small to medium-sized businesses, that's true for as well. And so the investment doesn't have to be that kind of high stakes, high reward. It can be low stakes, low to moderate reward. And still help that very important backbone of our business. And we aren't even ta- we haven't even started to talk about the nonprofit sector, yeah. who also play a key role in our economy. So I think that it does make sense that we invest in ventures that we think are doing good in the world, producing good things and good services that matter to people in the communities in which we live, and that we're consciously making those decisions to uplift those businesses. And my hope is that. that will continue to just be this quiet engine that churns underneath our economy, even with these bombastic explosions of risk and reward, such as we saw with Theranos and with WeWork. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that the lessons are actually like deep, the deep waters. They're not in these like larger bits, you know, of like that just because one woman messed up. Right. The door is closed. The door isn't closed. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And we and let's not just oversimplify right. the mess up. You know what I mean? Like, let's really look at this in the full yeah. systemic way. And <clears throat> here's the other thing I would ask to yes. our listeners. And, you know, we necessarily, we may not have helped this with our podcast <laughs> today, but could we focus less on what's happening in Silicon yeah. Valley for the love <laughs> of the universe? Could we focus more on what is happening in the mainstream economy of yes. Main Street in small to medium-sized businesses that makes up such a backbone of our economy? Because the problem I see is that we put so much media attention on the leadership and the story of these Silicon Valley companies that flare up and flame out. And we don't talk about both the many 
tech companies that completely mm-hmm. fail and also that are not unicorns, that are just regular old perchurons <laughs> that people invest money in and they just die because it was not an idea that the world wanted at this time, right? It doesn't make those people bad people. Nobody just wanted that thing. So we don't focus on those failures. We also don't focus on the other big, as you said, deep water. And I just would love us to shift our attention a little bit and start telling those stories more. And hopefully we squeezed in a few of them. I love that. Thank you. So, which is a question I have of you. Who is an entrepreneur in addition to Sam Mm -hmm. Peterson? Who is an entrepreneur whose work right now you would love to get a shout out, give a shout out to someone that people should be investing in? This is so great. Well, the one that comes that's really top of mind for me because I'm just so proud of them right the, right this minute is my friend Marty who just bought pomegranate in Bend. And I don't know anything about pomegranate. I don't know where it is. I don't live in Bend. I don't get to frequent this shop, but I know Marty. And Marty has just decided to take the biggest leap by buying a business while her child is just a, six months younger than mine. And doing the thing, Marty is an artist. And the best thing that I can possibly think of is that Marty has, Marty has decided to make a home for all these other artists to sell their stuff. And that is such Mm. a magical thing for other artists to do for each other. And she doesn't look scared at all. She looks so brave and Mm. clear eyed and maybe she is scared, but I just feel so proud of Marty and I can't wait until I can buy from Marty online because I'm just going to put my credit card in and I'm just going to invest and invest and invest because this mom is supporting her family and also supporting a larger network of artists. And it's really beautiful because I don't think, I don't think when we knew each other in art school, that would have been something she would have said she would have done. Um, So I'm a little proud of that too, Mm. that letting life unfold a little to see what you actually are going to do in this season of your life is so brave, you know, not being stuck in what you think you're just going to do then. I love that. I love that. And she sells things through pomegranate online too, right? Not yet. But if you live in, if you, if you message her, you can order a basket like I did for Mo and then they have to go to pomegranate and pick it up, which is even better. Then you trap them in pomegranate and then Mm. they hopefully buy more garden stuff the best. Yes, I did. I bought more. I know. And her, her, what she's curated is yeah. so lovely. Like it, cause I, that store has been there for a long time, but, and it's also a really neat building. Cause it's like a series of antique buildings for those of you that may live in Bend, Oregon. Um, it's a lovely, lovely little visit and it's fun to see it reactivated with yeah. these modern artists. Um, Who, who's yours? Yeah. It, there's so, so many. Oh, I have so many. I have so many. Um, I will mention both a brick and mortar store that is also a retail, an online retail. And I'll also mention a consulting firm because I just think there's so many good ones out there, right? So one, the brick and mortar store that I want to do a shout out to is Ren and Wild. (gasps) Yeah. Renandwild.com, which is also in Bend, Oregon. And Mandy Butera is the owner of Ren and Wild. And as you know, May, I've had this long up and down relationship with makeup, (laughs) which by the way, is a thread to the Elizabeth Holmes story. Because we said she had to act like a man, except that she had to have perfectly applied 
makeup and those notable red lips all the time. Otherwise, she was seen as not looking professional. So let's unpack that a little bit. So I've internalized the patriarchy and I have learned that I have to wear makeup sometimes when I'm on video or when I'm speaking and I've gotten much, much better at it thanks to Mandy Butera who did my makeup. She she was our makeup artist for TED when we were organizing the TEDx Bend event and uh, she did my makeup for several different events and then she taught me how to do my makeup myself and they sell all organic good for you products and you can order them online as well. What I love about Mandy's store and about her her whole mindset is that she make, she demystifies makeup and skincare as part of wellness mm-hmm. and she doesn't it's not over it's not oversold it's not i feel like i can wear the makeup that Mandy has taught me to to use and still look like me mm-hmm. um, without having to be a caricature of something else that doesn't feel like me because I've always preferred to look like me, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and I just also love the feel of her products. Mm-hmm. As a melanoma survivor, I have to have, you know, 50 SPF on my skin pretty much every day living where I live. And Mandy's helped me find really nice skin tints and you know, SPF that doesn't clog my skin and feels really light and comfortable, but protects me from the Death Star. So, you know, there's <laughs> a health the there, there's a health star. Yeah. Right? <laughs> oh, I love that. And Mandy, one of the things I appreciate about Mandy is that it's so non-judgmental. Like if you go in there and you haven't worn makeup in your entire life, they don't care. There's no yeah, weirdness about it. Or if you have right. very high standards for makeup, they don't care either. They're with you. I appreciate yes. that. Yes. Um, yes, absolutely. It's really, it's really cool. I would also call out, because I am a little bit obsessed with her right now, as you know, but I have to call out Eleanor Beaton. Oh, hi, Eleanor. Who is a Canadian. I know. So Eleanor Beaton is a Canadian coach and consultant. She was just honored in 2022, I think, as um, a no, most most successful black woman entrepreneur in Canada. Um, And what I love, uh, you know, she is my coach. I listen to her podcast very faithfully. I've been privileged enough to be a guest on it. And what I really love about Eleanor is that her niche is so clear Mm. and she really keeps us, the people that buy her products and services like front and center. Like every time she produces something new, I want it. In fact, we laughed the other day because she had some Instagram campaign. I filled out the form because I'm just like, whatever <laughs> Eleanor is doing, I want. And so we get, it turned out it was for a free consult. And she gets on the phone. She's like, Mo, she's like, Mo, what are you doing here? You're already in my incubator program. You don't need anything more, you know, to be on there. And I was like, oh God, you're right. I just, like, and I got an extra 15 minutes with Eleanor. So, um, but I, I love the way, you know, she's on a mission to create, to help more women entrepreneurs make uh, more than a million dollars. And she's just like steadfast in that mm-hmm. in that mission. And I feel like um, based on the community that I get to be part of with her, there's she's doing it. Mm-hmm. And the more women entrepreneurs that are making more than a million, the better we all are going to be doing totally. um, globally. Yeah. So I, yes. Hi, Eleanor. Can't wait to have you on the podcast when you decide to come. And Mandy. And, <sighs> and Mandy. And Marty. Look Marty. Look at that. Mo, this has been delightful. Thank you. Thank you. Have a good Good day. You too. Bye. Bye.